may be seated. You know, every church, doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is or how new it is or how uh, old it is, uh, has challenges. Would you agree with that? They all have challenges. And some of the challenges that churches face are universal. They all really, if you're a church, you struggle with those same challenges. Uh, some of those challenges are unique from church to church, um, just depending on, uh, on what the church is and how it's made up. And Celebration Baptist Church, that's the church that you're at right now, just so that you, you know. Um, we, too, have our own unique set of challenges. And one of the things that I've found over the years is that there is one particular challenge that seems to rise above all the rest. And the reason that I know that is because many of you have told me that, okay? And what I mean by that is, is you didn't come to me in, in a complaining way at all, but just in our fellowship and just with our talking, uh, we were able to just kind of sit back and, and share, and you were able to share your heart. And, and what the majority of folks say about celebration when they first come is they say, look, the, the greatest challenge for us is just really getting connected. That's been the biggest challenge for us here at Celebration. This is kind of usually how the conversation goes. Hey, Brother Mike, uh, listen, man, we came because we love uh, how, how seriously you guys take the preaching of the Word and the teaching of God's Word. We, we, we praise God that you guys are, are, are Christocentric, Christ-centered, that you preach the gospel. Man, those are all things that really attracted us here. And we love how serious you guys are about the Great Commission, about not only reaching people locally here for the sake of Christ and for Christ's name, but also for reaching people around the world. Man, we love that about celebration. But man, we've been coming for months and, and we still don't feel like we've really connected here at Celebration. We don't really feel like we're a part, really, of the faith family. And uh, if you've ever experienced that here at Celebration, and there's probably a good chance that you have, and, or if you're experiencing it right now and you're like, yeah, that's me, that's kind of how I feel here, uh, then what I want to do is I want to try to address that specific subject and that specific challenge this morning. So I believe that that challenge uh, really addresses us here. We address that challenge here this morning. And the reason we have that challenge is for two primary reasons. The first reason is what we call a pragmatic reason. Okay, let me explain what that is. And you say, well, please do. Well, I will. Thank you for asking. And a, a pragmatic reason. And what I mean by that is this, approximately six and a half or so years ago, Celebration Baptist Church didn't meet here. Uh, we met over in, in Yulee Elementary School. Uh, we had approximately at that time, about seven years ago, we had about uh, maybe 90 to 100 people in, in, in attendance on Sunday morning. And that was including the children and the youth and the young people and all that sort of thing. And the thing that I loved about that congregation when I first came is they were pretty tight-knit. Uh, they worked together, they served together, they struggled together. Uh, they just knew each other. It was kind of like cheers without the alcohol, okay? You know, they, everyone knew their names. And so, so it was a, but then something horrible happened. Something really tragic happened to that fellowship. And, it, and what happened was it began to grow. And, and that's really when, when things begin to get kind of difficult. Because some of you, I'm looking out at some of you in this area, and you were there with me during that particular time. In, in, short, in three short years, what happened was we went from 100 to about 250, 260 people, okay? And, and let me assure you that all those 100 people that were there when I first got there did not remain there, 
Okay, some of them were like, look, this guy's crazy, we're out of here, okay? So really, we probably had many more new people coming into that particular fellowship, and here's what happened. A congregation that would normally, when people would come in, they would meet them, they would reach out, because it was doable, because you'd have maybe a visitor a week, or you'd have somebody attending, they would really reach out to them, get to know them, and begin, but all of a sudden, just all these people begin to come from everywhere, and, and I remember kind of sitting back going, oh, I, who are these people? I, I don't know who they are. How do we connect them? And I'll be honest, from, from those folks that were there that, during that time, it was a little bit overwhelming. Uh, it, and it felt kind of like, hey, how do we connect with all of these folks? And then if, if that wasn't bad enough that we begin to grow, um, it, then things went from bad to even worse because we left there and we changed locations. Now, that changes things altogether as well because... Uh, pragmatically, that is structurally, we began to change. We couldn't have regular Sunday schools anymore because we didn't have room, so we had to kind of go and really develop small groups. Uh, we, we, we then again began to grow. In the next three, three and a half years, the church went from 250 to 500 people, and in the process of that, we had to go to two services. So now what you have is you have a great difficulty because you have a lot of people showing up that feel like strangers. They don't know each other, and now nobody really feels connected. Does that make sense? And it really becomes difficult if you become, if you come from a typical Southern Baptist church, okay? And what I mean by typical is I mean plateaued or declining. That's what I mean by typical Southern Baptist church. 92% of all Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or declining, which means this, and and that's not a rip on them. Some of them are good churches. They're just not growing. And, And many of you in talking with you, you came to a church that maybe ran 150 to 250 people. And man, you knew everybody because first of all, your grandpappy started the church, okay? And, and your great-grandmother and your aunts and uncles. And when you go into church, you're like, hey, how's it going? Nobody dares say anything because everybody's related inside the church, right? And so when you show up, everybody knows who you are. If something happens, everybody knows what happened and everybody's there for you and that kind of thing. And, and then you, you, you desired that, but then for whatever reason, God moved you here and you begin to go, man, you know, I'm learning the word and I'm growing the word and I'm learning the richness of God's truth. And this is wonderful, but nobody knows me and I don't know anybody and what's going on. And so what I want you to understand is some of that stuff is just a pragmatic issue. It's just a bunch of new people coming over a fairly short period of time, being kind of clumped together, and nobody really feels established. Nobody feels like they know each other. Does that make sense? And so the, we, it, we could have kept that from happening, and the way we could have kept that from happening is just not do the Great Commission, just not reach out to anybody, not try to reach anybody with the gospel, and just kept the same 90 to 100 people, but that wasn't the heart of those folks. They would rather give up their comfort and reach people for Jesus Christ. And that's what that committed group of believers did. And that's why many of you are even here today because of those sacrifices and what they just, but it still means that we have a difficulty connecting. So that's what I mean by pragmatic. Does that make sense? It just makes sense. And so even though there's a pragmatic reason for that challenge in our church, there's also a theological reason for it. And this is where I really want to focus on this morning. See, I believe that the reason that some people have a challenge of really finding community and fellowship at celebration is primarily because they have a false definition of community and a fellowship. In other words, they're coming expecting something, but really what they need is they need to redefine through biblical lenses of what true Christian community is all about. 
Because I believe oftentimes what we do is we experience something in the church is really not the community that God tells us to, to really be a part of. Instead, it's more kind of like the world. It's, it's, it's no, more, no different than what you really experience out in the world. And the fellowship and community that God tells us to have is completely different than that which is found and that you can receive from the world. And so what we want to do is we want to define biblically what what Christian community is all about. And secondly, what we want to do is we want to find out, does the word give us any instructions on how we're to go about developing that kind of Christian community as well? So those are the two things we want to look at and answer this morning. But before we do, let me give you a little bit of background to Acts chapter 2 since we're just jumping in here. Acts chapter 2, very well-known passage of Scripture. The passage of Scripture, why? Because it's that day that the day of Pentecost occurs. Jesus promised that when he would go back to his Father, that he would send the Comforter. And the Comforter was the Holy Spirit. So 120 uh, believers gathered in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, and little tongues of fire began to dance around on everyone's head, and all of a sudden, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to go out, and they began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And God began to move in the hearts of those people, and he began to, to affirm his word in their hearts. And, and one day, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ and were baptized as, as obedient followers of Jesus Christ. And those 120 people had to find a way to be able to connect with those people and bring them into community. Can you imagine doing that in one day? It's one thing over six years just to have about 400 people show up, but in one day, 3,000 people show up and they have to be able to draw all of these people in and create biblical or Christian community. Now, let me explain something. What we see in chapter 2 of the book of Acts is we see Christian community at, as, at its purest, at its truest form. None of us have truly probably experienced fellowship exactly the way that the church was experiencing it during this time. In fact, they don't even experience it really all that long before kind of the wheels begin to fall off. By chapter 6, uh, people are completely self-centered. They're wandering the way. God's striking people dead. Uh, there's rifts. There's, 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 there's uh, divisions within the church. False teaching is, is beginning to, um, it, to affect the church as we begin to work through the book of Acts and we look at some of the pastoral epistles. All these problems are beginning to take place. And here's what I want you to suggest, though. What God would have us do is to continually go back to the ideal. He would have you and I here at Celebration Baptist Church as we're trying to figure out what kind of community of believers are we supposed to be and what kind of fellowship are we supposed to take part in. Instead of allowing the world to dictate what that is, we want to go back to its truest and purest form and look at the Word of God, how it defines it, and then say, listen, this is what we're shooting for here at Celebration. Despite of all the other stuff that we've learned or all the other stuff that we've expected from a church, this is the word of God and this is what it says that Christian community should look like. So what should it look like? How do we define it? Let me, let me go ahead and, and give you two things that help us to define specifically what Christian uh, community is all about. First of all, Christian community begins with a mutual devotion to learning God's word together. It begins with a mutual devotion to learning God's word together. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 42 and see where we get this. The Bible says, and they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. Now the word devoted there, it, it speaks of something that is continuously occurring. It's ongoing. It's something that's faithful. It's something that's dependable. It's something that's unchanging. And in the specific context here, what it's referring to is it's referring to the early church's constant and continuous effort to learn all, to learn all of the apostles' teachings together in a corporate body. 
That's what it's referring to. You remember that Jesus, when he came on the scene, he chose how many disciples? Twelve disciples. And for three years, three, three and a half years, all he did was pour into them. He was teaching them publicly. He was teaching them in private, constantly teaching them. Why? Because when he would die and resurrect and ascend into the heaven after appearing for 40 days, what did he do? He gave them the Great Commission. He said, I want you to go in the world and I want you to preach the gospel, baptizing men in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach people, right? Teach them to, to, to follow and to obey all that I have commanded you. So the emphasis there at the Great Commission is us on teaching what it is that we have learned. But here in Acts chapter 2, the emphasis is not so much on teaching, it's on learning. It's on learning. They know as new believers, if they're going to follow and do all that God has called them to be able to do, if they're going to teach all that Jesus Christ had given them to teach, then first of all, they're going to have to learn all that Jesus Christ had taught them, right? So what they said is, here was the goal of a believer in the first century church. Here's what they did. They said, I'm going to go to church for this purpose. I'm going to go for the primary purpose of learning about Jesus, learning about his will, learning about uh, his, his, his desires and his commands for the purpose of becoming just like Jesus Christ. That's my motivation. That's what I'm devoting myself to, to his word, to become like him. And that's what the Bible says, that true Christian uh, uh, um, um, uh, um, uh, community begins with you and I having the same exact desire and purpose in our life to become like Jesus by learning the word of God. Are you guys with me? Now, before I move to the next point, let me just say this. That means then when you're going to join a church or follow a church, if you leave here or if you've had enough of me already and you're visiting for the first time and you're gonna go somewhere else, the first and preeminent thing that you need in order to really join a church is it has to be a place of the word of God. The word of God cannot be secondary. It cannot be something that we just kind of add and throw in. And the preeminent thing is, is, is the music and the programs and entertainment and the food and what happens in the fellowship hall. The ultimate deal is, man, are they doctrinally, clearly teaching the word of God word by word, verse by verse? Is, is God speaking? That, that's, that's what I need. That's, that's, that's what I desire. And what happens is a believer in Jesus Christ is to be fully and completely devoting themselves to understanding the word so that they can be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ, but yet they go and they join a church that that's not preeminent. That's not the preeminent purpose of the church. They say, hey, we do a lot of things. Oh, yeah, and we also add word. Here's what I would suggest, and half of you or three-fourths of you might be gone next week, but if I were you, guess what I would do? I would look for the church that most clearly teaches and exalts the person of Jesus Christ through the word of God week in and week out. And if that's not celebration, move your letter. You got that? That's where you want to be. That's where you want to go. Now, I believe that there's other churches, certainly, and I know great men of God in this community that are preaching the same exact way. But the truth of the matter is it's the first thing that stands out for us. And so what happens here, this Christian community begins how? With a mutual devotion to learning the word of God in a corporate setting, coming together with other believers. Now, here's what we would suggest with that. The bottom line is, that means if we have any other primary purpose by which we get together, it's not true Christian community. And some people would sit there and say, well, Brother Mike, can't you learn about Jesus Christ on your own? Yes, and you should. In your Bible study, in your home, with your family, you should be doing those things. 
but you can't enter Christian community. That's why so many people will sit back and they'll tell me, oftentimes they'll say, well, Brother Mike, I don't really need to go to the church. You do if you want to be obedient. You, 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 can't, you can't be a part of the Christian community that God has called you into but you sitting with your concordance or, or watching the, your favorite TV preacher at home, just watching, it might be comfortable, but it's not what God's called you to. Are you with me? And so what we see here is this is where it begins. You and I saying, the number one thing when I come to this body of Christ, the number one thing is me to be completely, consistently, constantly devoted to learning and understanding the word of God so that I could be transformed in his image and likeness. You got that? There, here's the second thing. The second thing is, it, 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 it begins with that, but it doesn't end there. It begins with that, but then it continues with a mutual devotion to living, God's, living out God's word together. Got that? To living it out together. Now, notice what he says. They're not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God, but also to fellowship, to fellowship. Now, I know when I say that word, you guys are thinking, I told them to get a fellowship hall when we first built this thing. I told them. And that's, re- that's really what's caused the problem here. If we had just built that fellowship hall where we could pig out on fifth Sunday dinners, then we wouldn't have this mess right now. I told them, right? And so, that's, so what's important is, once again, is that we understand through biblical lenses of what in the world the Bible actually means by fellowship, okay? That's essential here. When he talks about fellowship, you understand the Greek word there. If you've been in church for any period of time, you know that it's the Greek word koinonia. And that word literally speaks of a close mutual relationship and involvement with other people that are like-minded, just like you. And so what it means is, is, it suggests this, is that they devoted themselves not only to corporately learning the word of God, but also corporately living out the word of God with other close-knit relationships of people around them that have committed to do the same thing. That, that's what it's like. So this idea that we have in many churches today and, and some of you do it week in, week out. And, and we have people, especially in much larger churches, mega churches, what, we, what you have is you have people that sit there and get the first part right. I'm going to come and I'm going to learn the word of God. But literally they come, speak to no one, know no one, get up, leave, and, week to, and never speak to anybody else within that faith community. And then week after week after week, this is what they do. But that kind of fellowship was completely foreign to the New Testament church. If you were to tell them, listen, all I'm going to do when I come to the church during this first century is I'm just going to come and meet in the houses or I'm going to come and meet in the synagogue or I'm going to come to the temple and do nothing but sit and just kind of learn and not really get to know anybody or really try to build deep, lasting, meaningful relationships based on Jesus Christ, he says, brother, that, that's not being the church. That's not being the church at all. And so what's interesting about this is, is several things to me is that, is that what was it, though, that was the foundation of them becoming so close? You know that the people that you're closest to are the, ple- the people that you share the most commonalities with, right? Right? Like, like, like I don't like people that like the Georgia Bulldog. No, I'm just kidding. I, I do. I do. But, but, but Gator fan, look, immediately you find a Gator fan or whatever, and you could be like, hey, man, nice Gator stuff. Hey, cool Gator helmet. Hey, how's it going, man? Go Gators. Yeah. And you could sit down and have kind of a whole conversation, right? And so the question is, what was it that they based these tight-knit commonality? What commonalities did they have that drew them together? If you were to go to the New Testament church and sit there and go, man, why are you guys all sticking so close? Why are you guys such close friends? Do you think it was for some kind of temporal, uh, just some kind of physical, some kind of like uh, surfacey kind of commonality? In other words, 
If you were to ask them, hey, why are you guys so close-knit? Was it because they all shared a like for donkeys? Right? Well, what really draws us together is we really like donkeys. As a matter of fact, we are a donkey club. We like donkeys. We like to ride donkeys. We like to draw donkeys. We like to feed donkeys. We like to talk donkey. That's what we do when we get together. We, we're close-knit. And what binds us together is there's the camel people out there. They like to ride camels. They like to talk camel. We don't talk camel. We talk donkey. Okay? And so what happens is, do you think that it was some kind of like culturally type thing that drew them together, some temporal thing that made this first century church connect? No. What was it? It was that all of them had set their mind completely and utterly devoted on one thing, to become like the Lord Jesus Christ through the consistent and constant and hard work of the teaching and understanding of the word of God. That's what it was. That's when they came together and they began to work that way and they sit there and say, listen, I can bond with you. Look, you may like camels. I may like donkeys. You might like the gators. I might like the... It doesn't matter, man. Because the preeminent desire of my heart is to be like him. The preeminent desire of my heart is to get in this word and to be transformed and to learn this word and to apply it to my life and to live it out. Will you join me? Yes. Yes. And so what we find is this, the, the, the sad part is I believe, is I believe the modern American church has gone way off course on this. Instead of becoming, and one day I need to preach that passage, we've misunderstood what it means when Paul says, I become all things to all people. It's probably one of the most misused passages of scripture in all the Bible, mis- misunderstood. Instead, what they've done is they've decided to provide all things to all people. What they do is, the, the way they build their churches, they sit there and go, listen, we need to get people to come and we need them to fellowship and we need them to be a close-knit group. So what they've done is, let's find out what interests them. And it's not spiritually what interests them, it's temporally what interests them. Now, what happens is, these are the moving and growing and the awesome churches. And, and I've even heard some of you say, man, that church was awesome. They had everything. They had everything for everybody, man. I mean, it didn't matter. They had, a, they had a car show ministry. Man, they had a, I like to knit. They had a knitting. Man, women that love to knit, we got together, which is awkward if you're a dude, but, you know, we, we got together and we like to knit. Man, man they, 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 they scratched wherever you itch. I mean, it was just awesome. They, they had everything there. You like music, man? You like to jam? They had a jam group, man. we just get up and we just jam. That's what we circled around. It was awesome. And what they suggest is that the only way to have community and fellowship and to build these relationships together was on these temporal things. And you know what I'd answer? You know my answer to that? Is I would say, they're probably right. That is what you need to do to build community and fellowship. But not Christian fellowship and Christian community. And it's not what we're trying to do here at Celebration. You can go anywhere in the world and get community and get fellowship. Join the Kiwanis Club. Join the Lions Club. Join the Moose Lodge. Join the whatever club. Man, go and do, hey, go and join it, man. But instead what the church has done is, instead what we're doing is we are trying to really take part in true koinonia, 
We are trying to take part in true Christian community that is described and instructed by the word of God that we get together with one desire, and that is to submit ourselves fully to our understanding and the truth of the word of God. You got that? That's what we're seeking. Now, I I know what's going to happen at this point. Some folks are going to say, Brother Mike, are you saying, because I know, I can already tell people are getting kind of uptight by this whole thing. Are you saying that it's inherently wrong to play sports in a church? I'll walk right out that door, Pastor. I'll walk right out. Are you saying that these, we grew up doing these things in our church, and those are awesome, kicking churches. Are they inherently wrong? No, it's not inherently wrong. It's not inherently evil to be able to, if we did, we wouldn't be doing it. We got some softball teams. We do some different things. I think it's great. But here's, here's what I would say. It's not inherently evil, but it always holds an inherent danger. And the inherent danger is this, is that we are just such temporal, physical-minded people. And that what we'll do is the danger is that you and I are going to find a common thread that binds us together that is something other than your pursuit and my pursuit to become Christ-like through the understanding and the teaching of God's word. That's where the danger is. Now, can you have true Christian fellowship by being a part of the car club? Working on each other's car? Yes. You can't with me because I get too angry. All right? But, but you can. But here's how it should be working, okay? I'm not saying that every time to discuss the word of God in these fellowships, you're not going to sit there and go, here, let me, let me get the um, concordance out and let me kind of whip through this. I've got a little Bible study set for you guys. But what it should be is, as we're working on the car and we're saying pass the wrench, we should sit there and say, well, brother, how, how are you doing with your walk with Jesus today? Man, we talked about this before. How's that going? Hey, man, I had this question. Brother Mike said this thing the other day. What do you think about that? Oh, well, let me tell you. Hey, give me a three-ace wrench. Okay, well, good. And you see what I'm saying? Softball can be the very same thing. Now, now I'm expecting you to be in the middle of the game, and they're going, hey, batter, batter. I just want to tell you guys for a moment what Jesus says in John 3. No, I don't mean that. But, man, if you're at the practices, man, you begin with, usually, this is how it begins. It begins and ends with Jesus, but there's no Jesus in between. Man, I'm just talking about conversations. I'm just talking, man, the Bible says what's in your heart is evident by what you speak. And I'm just talking about, hey, let's go throw the ball around. Hey, man, this is great. Hey, man, I had a question for you. Man, what did you do? How did you follow Jesus in this area of your life? You see that? And I'm saying that it can possibly happen. What I'm saying is it just doesn't happen very often. And so what we do is we misunderstand earthly, worldly fellowship of coming together and doing activities and having fun and doing all these things with true Christian community and fellowship. And that's not what, it's just not what it is. So what we want to do is I just want to suggest this to you. People all the time, why can't we have more activities? Why can't we do all these kind of things? Listen, we're not having fellowship because we're not getting together. We need a talent show. We need to have a barbecue. We need to have a whatever. Let me just suggest one thing. We're not a rec center. We're not a rec center. Are you just so cheap that you don't want to join the Y? Go join the Y, man. You understand? And look, <laughs> I'm not an activities director. Brother Mike, you, we just got to have some fun things, can't you? And these guys, look, I did not take four years of Bible college, three years of seminary, and three years of doctoral work. For me, not once did they say how to plan a social function. Not once. In there. 
You know what it was? Learning the word of God. Learning to proclaim the word of God. Learning to lead the word of God. And so here's the challenge. If you're at celebration and you're looking for that other type of fellowship and community, you're going to struggle, man. You're just going to struggle. I just don't understand, man. It's all great. I don't understand. The words here, we learn. You got small groups where you can meet. But where's the fun? I think this is fun. I actually enjoy Jesus. And here's what I suggest. I suggest if you enjoy Jesus too, man, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to have community. We're going to get together. And it's not, oh, do we always have to open the Bible? What's wrong there? Do you hear the early church who, was, who, who literally got baptized at the very stake of their life sitting there and go, well, let's not do the Bible. Man, can't we have a donkey club? No. So, man, I'm here for Jesus. I got to know what his will is. I got to know what it is. Let's get around the word of God and let's base it on that. Now, this fellowship and this close-knit fellowship, it, it gives us some, a little bit more instruction. I'll, I'll work through it just very quickly. Uh, here it is. What, what are some of the elements here that he gives uh, for the second aspect of, of coming and, and devoting ourselves, uh, excuse me, devoting ourselves uh, to learn together, to live together in this fellowship, in this koinonia? How do we go about doing that? Well, if, if it's not primarily around barbecues and it's pro- not primarily around uh, 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 car shows, then, then what do we do? Well, we already said it begins with the word of God, coming together, breaking open the word of God. But within this group and within these relationships, here's what is absolutely necessary to have. First of all, you have to have accountability. Now, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, it's, excuse me, the Bible says here, he says, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. To the breaking of bread, what is he referring to? Now, Baptists, I know how you read this. Praise Jesus, cover dish dinner. That's awesome. That's going to be wonderful. Now, I do believe they had what was called historically a love feast, where the people would get together, they would love on each other, and they would, give, they would, they would eat. But attached to that love feast, and I think this is where he's specifically getting to, uh, and I think this is the most important, is he's talking about the Lord's Supper. That's what he's talking about, is when the community comes together, they had the Lord's Supper. Now, let me explain this just for a minute. First of all, coming together, and I think eating together is a wonderful thing, don't you? I think it's a great thing. Let me tell you, some of the greatest, most intimate relationships that you can have is inviting somebody over for dinner, talk with them, and, and just talk about Jesus. Does that make sense? Some of the greatest gospel opportunities I've ever had to share the gospel was, was, was over dinner and, and leading somebody to Christ uh, uh, over dinner, speaking about Jesus Christ. So those are wonderful things. But what he's talking about here specifically is he's talking about accountability. Because as these people would come together and they'd come together as a group and they would know each other and they were learning the word of God together and they would have communion with one another, it was for them to constantly remind themselves of why they were there. They were there because of the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was also there because it was here that they would enact church discipline. It was here that they, because they were in this close-knit relationship, what they would do is they, they would sit there, and if somebody was not living according to the clear gospel and the clear truth of the word of God, it was at that point that they would, they would abstain and they would keep them from taking the elements and they would sit there in love and they would begin to deal with that brother and sister in Christ. An encouragement for them to turn from their sin and get right with the Lord and to be, get right and to do what God had called them to do. But here's the bottom line. You can't have accountability if you don't know the word because you don't know what you're supposed to be accountable to. People could be sinning all over the place, doing things that are contrary to the word of God. But if you don't know the word of God, how in the world do you know if we're doing that which is right? But there's a second thing you need to know. 
You need to know the people. You need to walk with them. Now, folks, I know this is bad because this is, the, this is the natural response to the majority of our folks. And their whole life falls apart. They get a divorce. They move out. They move up north somewhere. They split apart. And then all of a sudden, we find out for the very first time that this is what's going on inside of their life. There's something really wrong with that. And then you approach them and you say, you say, hey, why didn't you come and talk with us, man? Why didn't you say something to us? Well, we didn't want people to think that things were falling apart. Well, things were falling apart. Why didn't you come and say something to us? And so the point here is this, is you can't keep me accountable. I can't keep you accountable, or at least in a small group. Our church is too big with two services like this. It's too big to be able to keep everybody accountable, but you should be able to enter into a, some type of small group Whereas you're learning the word of God together that you keep each other accountable. You know, let me tell you about this accountability just for a second. I don't need people to love me in a way that all they do is, is, is they look, overlook all of my faults and all of my sin. Now, what I mean by that is, I don't need them to be sin sniffers, and every time I do something wrong, them to throw it up in my face and go, ha, how you like them apples, huh? Look at you, how you think you're so good? I don't need that. But I don't need their love for me to be so mushy that if I'm blinded to sin inside of my life and I'm doing something that's harming myself or harming my witness to Jesus Christ, that another brother and sister in Christ could come and say, hey, brother, listen, man, We've been learning this in the word of God, but I think that you're blinded to what it is that we've been talking about. Can we share and talk about this just for a little bit? You need that. I need that. Where people could see our warts and all, and it's not that we're happy with the warts and all, it's just that we're sitting there going, it's okay, God's clearing this up. God's healing this, and we're doing it one to another. He's using us in each other's life. Now, it's not only that he talks about accountability there, but very quickly, he talks about prayers. He sits there and he says, and the prayers. And the key is, is this, is, is, is I'm not completely opposed. Don't, don't get, just don't get all upset at everything I say, okay? But, you know, in our churches, we have the prayer list, which I think the prayer list is fine, the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Y'all remember Wednesday night prayer meeting? I just got to be honest with you. I don't know who in the heck those people are. I mean, we had this long prayer meeting. One time, I remember sitting there, and this is a true story. We had a, one lady's name on there. We kept praying for her. Said, man, we got to pray she gets better. She was dead for two years. Somebody said, why you still got her on the prayer list? She'd been dead for two years. Man, we've been praying for this lady to get healed. She'd been dead for two years, right? And the majority of the list of the folks that I was praying for, I don't know how to pray. It's kind of like, remember in the small groups you used to be in? I hope I'm not getting off track here. Remember the small groups you used to be in, and there's always somebody that always has an unspoken prayer request? Don't you just want to smack them? You know that kind of thing? Well, I have an unspoken. Unspoken. Okay. Have you ever tried to pray for an unspoken prayer request? You look like a fool, right? I got an unspoken. Okay, well, we pray for Jim Bob's unspoken prayer request. Now, God, we don't know what it is. You know what it is. Um, we're supposed to pray with intelligence and understanding, but we can't really do that because we don't know what it is. So, God, we just pray that you will do it. Unless it's contrary to your will, then don't do it. And then, I mean, it's just a mess. You understand? But let me tell you what draws community. When you sit there and you join together and you know exactly what's happening in somebody else's life and you sit there and you come before and you intercede before God, you say, God, I pray that you will pour out your mercy and your grace and intercession in their life for them. God, help them. Man, if you're on your knees with other people in your church and in your small group, let me tell you something. You're going to feel that community. You're going to sense that community. So we see that there's accountability. We see that there's prayer. Then there's also care. And look at the word of God, says verse 43, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done 
through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributions and the proceeds to all and the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, let me clarify this very quickly, culturally, so that you understand. It's not suggesting here um, uh, some kind of socialism or some kind of uh, communism where what you have to, I know you're relieved by this, that you have to sell everything and give it to me, and then I'll separate everything out. Aren't you glad that that doesn't have to happen? But what it's specifically saying is, here's the deal. The people were so close-knit. They loved each other so much. That when there was an actual need inside of brothers and sisters in Christ at the need, they did whatever it took to be able to meet that need for that person. And you know what? We've got folks like that here in the church. And I, I respect that. But let me challenge you one more step. Here's a beautiful thing. Happens every Christmas at different times. Folks in small groups will come up and say, hey, listen, we've got some money for, for somebody. Do you know anybody who's specifically in need? Here's at Christmas, we've got something for a need. And usually we know somebody. We can always find somebody who's in need during that time. But you know what would be even more grand? If you knew who was in need. If you knew who was in need. Because of your close-knit relationships, you're committing together, together, one another, week in and week out, coming together and being able to do that. So there's a care that goes on. And then finally, let me give you one last thing. There's a togetherness. Now notice verse 46. And he says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, uh, in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, here's, here's the beauty of this. Uh, what happens is it says that they were consistent in their coming together. Now you say, well, Brother Mike, um, that, does that mean we're supposed to be coming every night? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think this is more descriptive than prescriptive. In other words, it's not saying do exactly as we're telling you to do. I think there's a principle here, and it's demonstrating how it ought to be in the sense that we should be meeting consistently together. Consistently together. It should not be this Sunday, we'll see you in three weeks. It should not be, hey, I'll hit a small group every once in a while, and then we'll come around every time. They knew if they were truly going to be serious about studying the word of God corporately and learning in a small group that held each other accountable, that, that could pray for each other, that would care for each other, guess what had to happen? They had to be together. You know, we talk all the time, and I hear guys this, and this is what we men do whenever we're just feeling guilty about not spending enough time with our family. You know, we, I just need more quality time with my family. That's what we need, more quality time. And that's true. But you know, sometimes it's just quality time. Sometimes we just need to spend more time together because that's how the quality time ends up coming about. Does that make sense? So that's what God is calling us about. So here's what I'm gonna call you to through the preaching of God's word this morning. Here's just a couple of final applications. First of all, this morning, I'm gonna ask you to adopt a biblical definition of Christian community. I want you to begin to get all of those ridiculous crazy things that are all out there that are spending everybody's money and everybody's time and everybody calls it Christian fellowship when it's nothing more than us just being just like the world and us just to take part in something that we think is great. What I want you to do is understand true Christian community begins by single-minded people with a single heart who want to come together and be like Jesus by studying and understanding the word of God. Commit yourself to that first and foremost. The second thing I want you to do today is that, and understand that it's not only studying the word, but it's also entering into that small group. And those folks who have made the same commitment to you, they're your family. 
They're your family. You're going to work and you're going to walk with this. Those elders that we've talked with, this is what I've shared with them, the elders in training. I've shared with them, this is what I said, guys, you know what I want? I want to walk through life with you men for the next 20 years and us to turn back and be able to tell a story of the last 20 years and sit there and say, do you remember when God, bam, do you remember when God, bam, do you you understand what I'm saying? That's the kind of close-knit relationship you want to find. Here's the deal. You're not going to know all 500 people here. You're just not going to. It's impossible. But you can know a part of God's church by being a part of that small group. It says, make your great, secondly, make your greatest desire to learn the word of God and be transformed by it. You know, that's part of the problem is we just lack the desire to be like Jesus through the study of God's word. Look, when folks get together and they sit there and, and you feel kind of like, man, why are we getting together to study the word again? There's something wrong there. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Can you imagine the New Testament church feeling that way or verbalizing that? No. So what you need to do, you say, well, Brother Mike, that's just not my greatest desire. You know what you do? You do like everything. Bring it before God and say, God, let the greatest desire of my life to be transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ because I know, and give me a great hunger for the word and a desire for the word because the truth of the matter is I can't become like you without the word. I'm transformed by the renewing of my, my mind through the word. God, give it to me. I don't have it. Okay, pray out to him. Number three, Take part in corporate worship. Be consistent. Community groups. We've been talking about community groups. He's saying, look, we got the opportunity. There's a group for you to be able to place in. And this is what I would say for you. Be patient in that community group. You know what's going to happen the first week? You're going to get in there and go, ah, it just didn't do it for me. I didn't really like the folks that much. Well, it's going to happen. You don't know them, right? Stick in there for a little while. Suck it up, man, right? And here's the other thing. And, and, And be a part of missions. Look. You may not be able to take part in a worldly type of fellowship and community in this church, but I believe that the table is completely set for you if you want to take a part in godly community and fellowship here. We do exegetical preaching on Sunday mornings. We have small groups that unpack the word of God that you can learn in a small group. We have our, our, our fall seminar, our spring seminar of, theolo- uh, of biblical theology that we're doing. We'll start it up again in March. There's all kinds of opportunities for you to do exactly what it needs. And you know what else we have? We have missions coming out our ears in this church. Almost every month, our pastor of missions, Jimmy, has really set up things all the time, missions that we could do here in the local community. And then every year we do two or three or sometimes even four mission trips that go beyond the borders of the United States to reach a lost and dying world. And you know what we have everybody doing? No, we just don't, we just don't have any kind of fellowship. You want fellowship? Go and serve on the front lines with people. Storm the gates of hell with brothers and sisters in Christ by getting the Great Commission done. That's where you find fellowship. And finally, those in small groups must continue to be inviting and open welcome new people into the community. Once you get in that community and you're like, man, we really like our group, don't sit back and sit there and go, us four no more. Y'all with me? Don't sit back and just sit there. What you, your job is, hey, if we gotta split this baby open, we gotta split this baby open, we gotta divide because they need what we have. You got that? Well, but, but you're gonna change us? You're gonna mix us up? You need to be changed. Divide it up. Be welcoming. Go out of your way. You see people sitting around you? Look, I, I do this all the time, and, and I've had people leave the church. I'll see them out somewhere, and I'll go, hey, you look familiar. And they're like, well, I've been coming to your church for a year. And I don't know who should be more embarrassed, them or me. You know, I don't know who they are. 
you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I want to. I'd make every effort that I possibly can. But, 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 but here's, here, 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 here's the final thing. You may embarrass yourself, but some of you in the small groups, you just need to go up to people and say, hey, listen, I don't know who you are. He goes, you might, you might be new. Are you new? No, I've been here for six years. Oh, okay. Well, are you in a small group? No. Why don't you come and be a part of our fellowship? You see that? That's missional, man. That's reaching out. That's getting people to do and be a part of what God has called us to do. Will you do these things today? But let me share something, one final thing with you. I want you to understand that this is what God calls us to, but it's not easy. But the only way that he can call us to do something this difficult, to bring about this Christian community, is because he made it possible. And he made it possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ died on a cross, not for his sins, he died for your sins. He died for my sins. And all those who would repent of their sins and place their faith squarely on the completed work of Jesus Christ will be saved. The wrath of God would be taken away that's being pent up for the day of judgment. And they would walk and they would become and they would be adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ and they'd be ushered in to the body of Christ where they were to enjoy true and utter Christian community and fellowship one with another. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's the first call. The second call is for you to commit to what we've talked about this morning. Dear Jesus, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would move our folks. Stir-